Welcome to Rolling Stone Music Now. Today we're going to talk to Fred Armisen about the state of music parody, including his new takeoff on the Talking Heads' Stop Making Sense on Documentary Now, and also why Spinal Tap ruined it for everybody. But first... And that was a little bit of Shameless Halo from The Descendants. We're here for our What We're Listening To segment. I'm here with Hank Steamer from Rollingstone.com, senior music editor. What's up, Hank? How's it going? Good All to be right. Here. I'm so happy we're getting the Descendants on this show. Yeah, I'm psyched. If they sounded like many other pop punk bands who are much younger than them, that's not a mistake because they're a <laughs> super important, underrecognized pop punk band, wouldn't you say? Yeah, all, all of the all of the later, all of the '90s pop punk bands bow down to them as as the Godfathers. It's, as it, they should. Yeah, as they should. Do you want to give a little pocket history of the Descendants for the people who don't know who need to bow down? Sure. Yeah, I guess uh, it's important to know for for those listening that it's uh, Descendants is sort of intentionally misspelled. Um, it's. Uh, it, with an E instead of an A there at the end, but yeah, they're they're a band. They they formed in uh, in '77, you know, around LA. They sort of became a part of that the SST scene with Black Flag and Minutemen and other bands like that. But they always kind of had their own identity. Like they, they were they were singing a lot of love songs, a lot of kind of like goofy humor in the music. But it was still from coming from like a hardcore kind of mentality, that same kind of like aggression and musicianship. But it was channeled into something a little more lighthearted. And like they were one of the first bands to really put things together that way. I mean, like and they influenced like, you know, people from the offspring right. on, you know, all the way to all the Vans Warped Tour bands. Exactly. And that, yeah, that whole that whole tradition of that lovable nerddom, I think, in punk, it comes from the Descendants. I mean, like, right down to their logo with, you know, their singer Milo Ackerman was kind of like caricatured, and their logo is kind of like a dude with these dorky glasses, and he kind of had a side gig as a scientist uh, his whole life. So, I don't know, they, they were always just kind of quirky and offbeat, and were never trying to be like the tough guy punk band. They, what, they were, what's like the seminal Descendants album that you would point people Milo to? Milo Goes to College. Yes. That, that, that's their first album, and, and it, you know, it's, it's just got a lot of, like, really strangely mature songs for, for these guys that were, you know, basically teenagers at the time. Songs like Hope and Bikeage, and I mean, it really kind of, like, rip your heart out love songs on that record and then a lot of you know really goofy stuff too there was some stuff like where they would basically turn like a fast food order into a song you know, awesome it, cover of the Beach Boys, Wendy, at one point yes they right? did yeah, yeah they did Wendy and, and so they never shied away from this idea of like pop do you know what I mean like at the same time as they were a punk band and kind of inhabiting those circles they were very into like to hooks and great compact songwriting and all that stuff. And now they're, they're back with a difficult album title that you're, you're going to have to say. Yeah, it's called Hypercaffeum Spazinate. And what's up with these guys now? What are they? So are they they've been out there this whole time. Well, Descendants Descendants have had like a couple different rebirths. There, there, there was an initial period that went up through like the late '80s, and then they took a few years off, and they came back in '96. Uh, and kind of had their, like, uh, you know, you mentioned the Warp Tour before, and they, they came back just at the time when that whole thing was kind of in its ascent, and, and then they became, they kind of showed up to claim what was rightfully theirs, I think, in the mid-'90s. And then they put out a, uh, a couple records, another record in 04, and then they went away for a while, and this new one is the first album since then, and the first album in 12 years. So it, this is news. It is news, yeah. I mean, the Descendants have a really hardcore fan base, people who love them, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely like a lifelong passion. There's this whole thing about tackling more adult topics. So they had this old song called I Like Food, which was them sort of like, you know, goofing off and just talking about like junk food and all that stuff. And the new one, there's a song about how 
they can't eat junk food because you know it's unhealthy. It's sort of like welcome it, to Middle East. Yeah, right. There's the, there's the descent. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Well, Hank Steamer, thanks for coming on. Absolutely, no problem. And we're back. I'm here with associate editor Andy Green. What's up, Andy? How's much? How you doing, Nathan? I'm all right. We're going to hear a little bit of your recent interview for the Q and A page in the magazine with Fred Armisen, yeah. who is, it's true, a comic actor who many people know from Saturday Night Live in Portlandia and his uh, series documentary now, but who is a huge music fan with deep music roots. Yeah, this is somebody that really started as a drummer and wanted to be a drummer and worked for years and struggled in these in these punk bands and was a touring drummer for even Blue Man Group. And he was in this band uh, Trenchmouth, yes. which had a modicum of success. Yeah, so he was doing that for for years and years and years, and then comedy started a bit late in life, but it, it took off in a huge way. He was on SNL for over 10 years. The reason we were talking to him now is that he, Documentary Now is back, which is kind of his parody documentary show with Bill Hader. Yes. The kind of hook for this is that he was doing a parody of Stop Making Sense. Yes. I the thought, famous Talking Heads. Right. I thought it would movie. be hard to top last season's Blue Jean Committee thing. It was a two-part parody of the Eagles documentary that was just <laughs> freaking brilliant i mean it was so funny but they did stop making sense which i thought was even harder because that's just a concert movie but they pulled it off it's it's freakishly funny it's just a perfect parody of stop making sense in which he's david byrne they have like maya rudolph to be tina weymouth or a version of her and then bill Hader, i guess is jerry harrison and they just do a parody of this new wave band that they wrote new songs for and then in the middle for no reason it's like a tom waits parody he becomes Tom Waits, and they do this whole Rain Dog song, and it's perfect. He does a voice perfectly, and it looks just like 87, which is the year that it takes place, and it's brilliant. All right. Well, uh, this is Fred Armisen being interviewed by Andy Green. Yep. I'm a huge Talking Heads fan. I imagine you are, too. So do you find it harder to parody something that you love? No, I, I, I can only parody stuff that I love because I try to do it in a way that's like that reflects my love for whatever that is you know Mm -hmm. and especially with like it actually also makes my job easier in general like because I love talking heads so much I it I had to do very little like I didn't even have to do research to figure out how those songs would be or like what you know what the stage setup would be like or who the musicians were all that stuff just is already in, in my head you know it's like a, it's existed there for so long mm-hmm. and um, I also feel like um, the talking heads were so presentational right. that they, they made it it was like it was it's something that's like so visual that it's like you know just ready to it's just you know it's just ready for that kind of thing yeah do you think that David Byrne is going to appreciate this Oh, um, that's a really good question. <laughs> that's a really good yeah. question because I don't see him as someone who um, wallows in his past. Yeah. That is a person who lives to create into the future. You know, like, he, <clears throat> for years, just re- keeps reinventing himself, even in Talking Heads. Mm-hmm. So his his trajectory has always been forward. Right. 
Yeah. Always. And, and like, yeah, so that, that's, I think he's just facing this, this one direction of like, which is, by the way, so admirable. I, I, it's something to, like, it must be great, actually, to just, well, you know, he's got this w- one mission. Now, are there any documentaries so sacred to you that you went into a parody of them? Well, there's a ton, a ton. Yeah. Like, when we sat together, in, in, you know, in the writer's room to think of documentaries, there, it, it's not just that if it's a documentary we love. Some of them are so, have such a point of view mm-hmm. that there's nothing we can do to add to it. So, like, say, like, The Jinx or, like, The Staircase, those are ones that are so heavy and, like, filled with with so much that, like, there's there's nothing we can do to approach it. Right. <clears throat> a heavy thought about doing Don't Look Back? Yeah, that's been suggested to us. Mm-hmm. Is that something that intrigues you, or...? Yeah, that's almost like... I wonder if that's so well done, like, so many layers, mm-hmm. that, may, that, might be, that might be tricky to pull off as a... Uh, as a parody, that's a that's a pretty that might be too hard to try to handle. Yeah, do you think you could play Bob Dylan though? Or do you, you have that in you to be young Dylan? Uh, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Why? No, because um, it's it's been done so much. People right. have done so many versions of Bob Dylan that I worry that I would I could only do like uh, a parody of a parody. Like I would be doing someone else's Bob Dylan, right? It, it's almost like if someone someone doing Johnny Carson or something like that, where it's like it's people have done it, you know, right? Or even Frank Nixon Sinatra, or something, yeah, right? Or Frank Sinatra, like right. you, even if you try your best, it's like you it'll you know it'll come out somehow. Have you thought about doing Searching for Sugar Man, like some lost rock star documentary? Where they have to find a guy that's missing. Uh, yeah, that we we thought of too. Mm-hmm. We kind of like thought about it and then sometimes it's just too fictional like if we create a person who no one has ever heard of before right. it gives us too much it gives us too much freedom right. so like it, it, in the comedy world then we're just writing so many jokes that like it, it becomes instantly unbelievable and the whole thing with music documentaries is super tricky because of Spinal Tap because right. they they shockingly that movie has stood the test of time where we literally in the room go well Spinal Tap did that so we can't we can't do the ridiculous musician who has a some you know affectation like it's really Spinal Tap kind of really made things difficult to make fun of music and so what's your favorite rock documentary of all time I'm going to have to think about this (laughs) there's something about that Harry Nelson one. Right. Uh, that, for me, did, it's, <clears throat> did, did, did this job of, like, introducing me to the artist in a way that I didn't know before. So, mm-hmm. there's the, all the documentaries we love because we love the band. We're like, oh, we love, you know, The Clash, great. The Sex Pistols, great. Mm-hmm. Even Stop Making Sense, but I'm already a fan. Now, <clears throat> I feel like the Harry Nelson one was like, here's this person you didn't really know what they talked like. You don't know what their life was like besides their singing voice. So that, to me, was one that was like a real um, ex- 
exploration of a person who I, I was being introduced to, which is a, 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 that's a big feat. Right, and the story is just so sad, and it's, it's stuff that you never know in to end until you watch it. I mean, there's so much of his life that's not known to most people, so. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because I'm also, like, still sad that he didn't tour yeah. and have a live show. I'm like, what happened? What? I guess he didn't like to do that, but. Right, I. It, that. You know, there's like no, I have zero live footage of Harry Nelson. Yeah, I think about George Harrison, too, that he had so many years where he could have been touring and he just didn't do anything. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. He, I guess he just, by the way, that documentary, oh, my God. Yeah, you know, he, Oh, my God. Oh. Yeah, he did the one American tour in 74. It was a coked-out fiasco. He did, he did Japan in 91, and clapped in, like, eight shows, and that was it. And that's it. And that's it forever. And that's it. <laughs> I... I go through his live album, the, yeah. um, the one from Japan. Yeah. I, like, really soak that in. I'm like, whoa, this is all I have. Yeah. This is all I can imagine him doing now. So, like, I just go through that one and just imagine that he could, he would still be touring, you know? Yeah. Uh, so and that's that's fascinating. I, I, I wonder what that's about. Like, he must have not... I guess maybe I, touring was like not think, what he loved. I think the '74 tour is a huge deal. It was the first time a Beatle had toured America since the Beatles, and it was such a fiasco. And then I, yeah. I think after John died, he got really freaked out about being in public. I think he sort of went to his castle and just got, and then, you know, he was petrified, and then his worst fear came true, and someone broke into his house and stabbed him in the chest oh. in his sleep, you know, so I think he was what really emotionally... What is it with, what is it with people? Yeah, well, there's a, there's a really deranged person that did it, but... Like, deranged people, they're, they should add another crime to that, is ruining it for the fans. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> you know, like, they, they should add, like, a something, to, like, another charge of, like, how it's just the worst. It's just like yeah, and, that, and he was I going keep, through with with, mm-hmm, yeah. with Lennon too. I'm just like I want to go back in time and be like, it, I still like mourn the death of the, of John and George. Uh, I'm still sad about it. Yeah, it's unspeakably. And he was going through chemo, and he was not doing great, but being stabbed in the chest ten times that didn't help his progress. Yeah. That killed him basically. Anyway, oh. uh, just to move on. But how about this? Oh yeah. <clears throat> how about this on a lighter note? Sure. Watching Paul McCartney live, uh, yeah. we're we're all so lucky. We're all lucky that like he does Beatles songs. He does like Wings. He does like you know uh, deep cuts. Yeah. And he keeps touring, and he's awesome. Yeah. So we have that. Yeah. Uh, now, just, is there any part of you that wishes that you made it big as a drummer and not in comedy? No, because this is like, I have the best life in the whole world. I love my life. Mm-hmm. And it, it all sort of came together in like the most harmonious way. In total, just in total harmony with like the amount I get to play the drums, the amount I get to play music. Mm-hmm. It all is like, I cannot believe my luck in that, like, in a crazy way, I still got to play music, but in the way that, like, I feel like it was meant to be, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really would never trade it. And, and my experience of getting to meet my heroes and stuff, like, it, it's just the best. So who was the person that you were the most speechless when you met? Like, what rock star was the most just awe-inducing for you to be in contact with? Um, I'm, I was most awed by meeting Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. And like, because, 
at SNL. Oh, okay. Because he made it very easy, you know, mm-hmm. as a person. And so there was like a double thing of like, I didn't feel like an idiot. I didn't feel like, you know, I just had nothing to say. Like, and, and he was a great person or is a great person. So there's like this perfect mix of like, oh, this is what life is about. Like, you know, uh, getting to be, being lucky enough to meet someone like that. And then what turns out that they're also like a human being, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, so I, that's easily like who I would say, like what I was the most struck by at the same time, like meeting Mick Jones from the clash. Mm-hmm. Um, was like maybe the most for me like as a little kid like that's where I felt like a, like a teenager where I was like oh my god the amount I've listened to The Clash is just you know it, it's like never ending I never stopped you know yeah and, and then and then meeting Bob Mould is another one like mm-hmm. that was like the amount I listened to Husker Du was crazy mm-hmm and then he's a really just gentle, great person. Um, Glenn Danzig was amazing. Uh, uh, so I, this, it, you know, the, I, I, the list goes on because, like, it's kind of what I live for. In a way, like, this is the reason I, I wanted to, you know, get into music. I was like, someday I'll meet these people. Captain Sensible from The Damned. Great. You know? Yeah. So you worked with Billy Joe Armstrong on a movie recently, yeah. and you sort of formed a fake band with him. So like, what did you yeah. learn from that experience? Um, we had, like, some roots together. Like, we'd, we'd played in the same circles in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is the most positive person, which is really, you know, you don't see that a whole lot, but he really is an optimist, Mm-hmm. And he has, he doesn't have any like chip on his shoulder about anything. He's like psyched to play music, loves punk, loves his family, mm-hmm. and approached to doing a movie in a way that was like, yeah, in the kind of the way that I like to approach things. But like, I don't know, let's try it. Uh-huh. Let's see what this is like. Did you, you help know, him? And, uh, did you help him learn how to act? No, no, no. He I, he did, he didn't need any help, but also. it's going to sound like fake humility. I don't know how to act. You know, I'm not like, I I don't walk into these situations like this is how you do it. I'm like, I'm still, no matter how many years I've been doing this, I still walk in going like, I think this is what they want. I don't know. (laughs) But it's sort of interesting that both him and Carrie are sort of non, are sort of, they're they're musicians that are non-actors that you've worked with. I sort of see you as as like the actor whisperer who can work with these people. But I, I guess not. It's just sort of, well, it's 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 more the other way around, and like I'm one of them. You know, I'm so, mm-hmm. I sort of snuck in. I snuck in the side door. Mm-hmm. So I'm just to me, I'm just like uh, in my eyes, or maybe even unfortunately, I still see myself as like you know musician first, and then I got lucky, you know, getting to do comedy. Right now, uh, you met Prince once, right? Yeah, yeah. And can you you he, tell me about that? Well, I often tell the story of how, you know, he was eating macaroni and cheese and I tried to compliment him and he complimented the macaroni and cheese. But I I leave out uh, this other part of the story, which is I met him at SNL. Uh And I sort of came up behind him and 
said, hey, you know, I hope it's okay about me doing this impression of you. And he did like this, like, little bit, like a little joke, which is like he sort of stepped back a little bit and opened his eyes and then, like, rubbed my arm in a friendly way. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, oh, it's cool. So it was actually very, very nice. Mm-hmm. And I was very struck by his, like, his, like, uh, posture. He was very male. Like, he was a real guy. You know what I mean? Like, I never expected it. Like, first of all, he's so, his look is so famous that, like, he looks famous. I'm like, he looks like, like, like Prince. Like, he looks like that guy. But he was, like, very, like, a real guy. Like, his voice is really low. Mm -hmm. And And he was like, so he did this open eye thing that I wish I could do for you. Like, you know, sort of like the joke was, Oh, are you, are you talking to me? And then he smiled and sort of just gently rubbed my arm. Like, Oh, it's cool. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Like this low tone. that was like, it was, it was really great. And I don't often tell that story cause it's like not as entertaining. You know, it's like not the, cause the macaroni and cheese story is, it's a funny thing that happened, but mm-hmm. it's also the way, it's also the way that I took it, you know, right. it's also like how my reaction to it, uh, but God damn, he was, you know, Prince was like, he really is the ultimate. Yeah. And to yeah, lose, he him, really is to the lose him and Bowie like weeks apart or whatever, months apart. Was... Yeah. The, the more time goes on, we're going to like equate them in the same month or yeah. whatever. Yeah. But it also, you know, it just, I mean, like, and also Lou Reed wasn't that long ago. And like, oh, yeah. it's, it's really, it's really, uh, as corny as it sounds, I, I'm lucky, or we are all lucky we got to, like, be around when Prince was around. Yeah. So are you still able to do to do your Prince impersonation, or now that he's dead, you not want to do it anymore? I've done it in live situations where I sort of do it a little bit, but it's got a different tone, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, it, he mixes in with all it's strangely like him Paul McCartney and the clash and the damned mm-hmm. to me are all like I don't know if there's anyone else out there who experiences all as the same line of music because like there's new wave and punk and then whatever Prince was and then whatever Paul McCartney is mm-hmm. to me it's all like whatever the name of that is <laughs> I don't know what it is but like to me that's like the like uh, this thread of what keeps me alive you know, right. like that's, I, I'm trying to like with Portlandia and stuff, just somehow wedge myself into that, whatever that is, whatever that's called. Uh-huh. So as a drummer, are you able to defend the drum solo as a concept at a rock show or is it always in the same when there's a drum solo? I will always defend it. I think that like everyone knows deep in their hearts that the drums are the coolest instrument uh-huh. or the best instrument. And Joe Strummer once said that, like, a band is only as good, is as, good as its drummer, and I really think that's true. Mm-hmm. And I think that when any of us go to a show, your eyes just go to the drum kit. It's just, like, it just goes there. You just, no matter who you are, you just kind of, like, or whoever the singer is, you kind of, like, there's a kit. That's where the drummer's going to be. And drum solos, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Even if it seems kind of jokey, sometimes people do it in a kind of jokey way. Mm-hmm. 
sound of a drum is like, you know, it's like a happy, great thing. So, so why not? I'm all for it. I'm all for, I'm all for drummers hamming it up. I'm all for drummers talking and kicking over the kit, all that stuff. I'm all for it. So then what's your favorite drum solo of all time? You you have really good questions. <laughs> Thank you. My favorite drum solo, which doesn't seem like a solo, but it really is, is the drum beat to Dreaming by Blondie. Huh. So it's not like the kind of solo where like everyone stops and, and you know and the drummer's playing, but it starts with the drums. Mm-hmm. And it as short as it is, if you listen to that song, it's like a solo all the way through. Yeah. And and other than that, I think the, 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 the drum fills in this song by The Who called Going Mobile. Oh, yeah, I love that. Is like, if you listen to just the drums, he, he's, it's a solo all the way through. I don't think it ever rests and becomes a regular beat. Yeah. I think he's just like messing around or whatever that's called all the way through. And uh, it really is like a, 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 a wonderful piece of music. Keith Moon's drumming on Going Mobile. Yeah, it's a staggering thing that this one band happened to unite like the best bass player of all time and the best drummer of all time in one group. And, and, I, and with Pete Townsend as a songwriter, it's ridiculous. I, mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. I almost feel like, I don't know if it's, if it's been discussed enough. Yeah. Maybe that, that might be a real case of people dying to, I guess everyone dies too young but like that's a real case of like oh man I wish they like had survived a little longer for us to just like really celebrate it you know yeah there's, there's no, they don't have like I'm asking you is this a real question they don't have like Grammys and stuff for like best bass player do they do they do that no, no I they don't they do. and, and I think John was the best John was absolutely the best if you go to YouTube yeah, you can find isolated tracks. Oh yeah, I've heard those. It's crazy. It's just, it's just crazy, and also, no reason for it. Like, why did like he? They already had Keith Moon, and then this dude is just like, well, I'm just gonna like, <laughs> it's, it's bonkers. Well, and it's he treated the bass. True art. He he, I like, treated the bass as a lead instrument. <laughs> oh yeah, which is very rare, <laughs> and, it's and overpowering. And and. and and didn't jump around. Yeah, totally still. Yeah. It's a crazy, yeah. The four of them at their peak, like 1970, was, was, I think was the best live music of all time. I mean, it kills me. 70, I would say 71, right? 71? Well, Leeds was Who's 70. Next? Yeah. But Leeds was, yeah. I, it, those three years, like what they did from 69 to 73, those four years is ridiculous. It is, is, is absolutely ridiculous. It's just... Uh, it, it, it's almost like an upside down band like yeah. this songwriter who didn't sing all the songs and like it, what a band what a band oh, insane yeah, yeah. Uh, so on the IMDB they list 23 projects you've worked on in the past in the past two years yeah so how many days a year are you not working I, I never ever take a day off even if I have a day off mm-hmm. I make sure that I put work in there somewhere. I make sure that I do a work task. Mm-hmm. Um, I only want to work. I love working. I feel lucky that I get to work. And I'm just like, I chip away at it with like claws, you know, like I just like really want to like 
do it in a relentless way. Do just mm-hmm. smash it. Just smash it all. Just kill it, kill it. Burn it, burn it, burn it, burn it. Do you ever take vacations yeah. and just stand never. and just lay by the pool or anything or by the ocean? Never, 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 never. never. I, in fact, if a situation comes where, like, someone's trying to, like, get me into that mode, uh-huh. I actually feel nervous. Mm-hmm. I get nervous when anything starts to feel like a vacation. I actually physically, my fingers, I feel it on my fingers. I'm like, <laughs> give me, I need to make this into a work situation. Uh-huh. So sometimes I'll do it in a way that, like, I will make my surroundings tranquil. So the one, the closest thing I've done is I went to Iceland to write. I, like, I went alone, but I, I stayed in the hotel and I wrote all day. Mm-hmm. So that's the closest I've come to it mm-hmm. because I love Iceland so much. But, but that's it. I, I don't believe in vacations. I, I really... I, I really try to, like, do as much as I can, always. Huh, and so what gives you that drive, do you think? My love for it. Like, I love it, and I'm a fan of it. Like, like I love visual art. I love music so much mm-hmm. that I emulate my heroes, for example, Prince, you know, and I, I think, how can I, you know, how can I do that? How can I keep making things and and when I say work it's like stuff that I just love to do if it's you know putting on a, like a wig and like dressing up in a costume or something great I'll yeah. take it you know I'll, playing live in front of people fantastic you know it's all like I, to this day I still feel like I cannot believe I get to do this yeah and can't believe it you're fortunate that you took off at this time of, of like uh, like peak TV, as it's called, when there's so many platforms for the kind of stuff you like to do. Because like, like, like 15 years ago, like people like you, they didn't have these outlets that just didn't exist. Nope. L- lucky as hell. Lucky yeah. as hell because now I don't even have to think about, well, if the ratings and this and that. Or I'm just like, I tell people this is where you can watch it and people can find it. You can find, I can, you know, it's just like such a, uh, a, a little niche of a show or both shows or whatever that like, and also everyone seems to get along. All the networks get along, you know, like everyone wants to work together. IFC and Netflix or NBC will promote something. I'm doing something else. Like, I think there was a time where like you really had to be part of like some one company. Right. And this is a big, this is a case of like, just everyone is is sort of you know supporting each other. Huh. I, I, I was at the Emmys and I was just like everyone just knew each other and was like happy for each other, you know. Yeah. On on each everyone was on each other's shows as guest stars. It's all like it's it's I, I equate it to music and that like I liked when you know the Clash would hang out with the Damned or like the Beatles and the Stones. Like people just kind of like hung out with each other. I, I really used to like that. Yeah. Do you miss the thrill and the pressure of a weekly live broadcast? Um, do I miss the thrill and the pressure? Yeah. What is going on with you? You've got, you've, this is like, I actually have to pause and think. I, in my life, I try not to miss anything because that's like going back and like, you know, then it's like, it doesn't really help me. Mm-hmm. I will say that, like, I love SNL. Like, I love 
being part of it, and I loved it. So it's like I love I I loved thinking about it and how great it was, but missing it is like that means that that would mean that like I'm not enjoying the intensity of my life now, and I I do enjoy. There's pl- plenty of pressure, even though it's not live. Uh-huh. But there's pl- plenty of the, its own version of it. Yeah. Right. So in the final transmission, it sort of becomes like a Tom Waits Rain Dogs parody in the middle. Can you you talk about why you decided to yeah, do we, that? We had to do something. Like, if we did it note for note without making sense, uh-huh. it's, it, then it's just kind of like showing in the, uh, it's like paint by numbers, you know? Right. So we needed story. Like, you know, Maya, Maya is a singer in it, which also doesn't relate quite to Stop Making Sense. We even have interviews in it, which is also doesn't relate. So it's almost like based on Stop Making Sense. But if we did just the concert, it, you know, we also want to try to like keep people watching the whole episode. All right. So we needed some, some kind of, that had to go somewhere. Right. And Stop Making Sense doesn't really have an ending. It's just the concert, you know? Right. So for comedy's sake and for like show sake, we had to do something. So we thought, well, what if Maya had a hit? And then I went crazy and came up with this like, you know, other, when I, I, I sort of like devolved into myself and I, I be, thought of myself as a Tom Waits kind of guy. So that, that is out coloring outside of the lines, but right. we needed it. And, and also we wrote it and then it kept, we wrote the Tom Waits part and then everyone kept liking it. Like, ah, oh, that is yeah. a really good part. But, yeah. you know, let's just keep it. Let's just keep doing it. I, I, I thought that Maya's song, it was sort of like the Tom Tom Club thing, but that was her genius of love, the little side thing that was, that was almost bigger than what the main thing did. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of that, yes. But the Bill Hader part, that was kind of that as well, but in a different way, you know, where uh, someone else sings. Right. So how do you feel about turning 50? Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm psyched about it. I get to, I get to be 50, you know, like, for some reason, I've, I thought about people, the, the person I focused on for turning 50 was Wayne Coyne of Flaming Lips. Uh-huh. I'm like, how do, you, how do you do it in a way where you're still yourself and you could still be an innovator? And I was like, Wayne Coyne, that guy, towards the flaming lips, and he he make, he tr- he's turned it into like an art platform. So it's great. It's mm-hmm. great because I also feel very fulfilled in my life. You know, I look at Portlandia, and I actually can hang on to it and go and and think like, there's a thing I created with Carrie. I you know I'm glad of, of the way it turned out. So I don't go into my fifties going, oh, but I didn't. I wish, I, you know, I wish nothing. This is great, huh. and you know, I my time at SNL was like well represented. I got to do crazy stuff on there, and I like people who are my age. I like what they like, and I like reminiscing with them. And I I love the youth of today. I I like for some reason I actually envy like the the energy you know like the sort of like the way that that the new generations of people making music is like they actually do reinvent what 
rock music and what punk is. It's great. So I'll see some new band come up, and I'm like, this is great. This is uh, better than I expected. I actually used to think that drum kits were going to be thrown away. I was like, you know, that's going to be sad when like no one plays drums anymore. Mm-hmm. I just saw this band War Warpaint play. Sure, the drummer's incredible. Yeah. Great drummer. I'm like. They just people keep reinventing, you know, or or parquet courts. They yeah. keep, they, they, it's like such a wonderful, comfortable place to be. Where I'm like, people are taking over the drums as they should be, like, or better than I expected. And I get to enjoy like my generation of people. It's it's uh, I I love turning fifty, and I'm gonna celebrate it in a um a graveyard, <laughs> and. Uh, what, uh, yeah. are, are you serious about the graveyard? <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. So then, what's that going to be like? Um, I'm just going to, like, I'm just going to have some of my friends, you know, together. I'll have some chocolate. Um, I'm going to have Jay Maskis play. When he, he turned 50, I think, the same year, so uh-huh. I also like the way he kind of turned 50. He loves his birthday. Uh-huh. So I thought, you know, I would I'll have him there and we'll play some music and uh, just, you know, celebrate being alive. And <laughs> we'll, we'll celebrate being alive in a cemetery? <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> Are you in Hollywood Forever Cemetery or somewhere less famous? Yeah, yeah, but I'm trying to like, I, I, it's not a public event. Oh, of course, like that, of course, yeah. Yeah, so I think I'm, I don't want people turning out and going like, hey, there's this announcement. It's mm-hmm. going to be like a private event at Hollywood Forever and, Okay. You know, I'll have my friends there, and, you know. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, I'm just like, I don't know. I, 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 It's just like, I don't know what it is about it, but I'm psyched to turn 50. And that's it for this episode of Rolling Stone Music Now. Andy, thanks for sharing that interview with us. No problem. If you like what you heard, please leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You could also subscribe. <laughs>